And the problem with most small businesses without systems is they're frequently saying, I'm sorry, because somebody forgot to do something. And the goal behind systems, in my opinion, is to not to have to say, I'm sorry, but to say, this is how we do it here until we find a better way to do it. What got you here won't get you there, Doc. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show, a part of the VetX Leaders Community Online. In each episode, we explore ideas and subjects you can use to manage your veterinary practice better and be a better leader. I'm your resident asker of questions, Brendan Howard, and today the business thinker with me is Dr. Peter Weinstein, co-author with Michael Gerber of The E-Myth Veterinarian. Weinstein owned a hospital, and he's now the executive director of the big Southern California VMA. But decades ago, he was stunned to learn a truth from Gerber that ran across small businesses of all stripes. A great technician, a person with amazing skills at something, may not take the time to set up systems for all the other parts of their business. Sounds a touch like a veterinarian, right? Peter, how did you wind up writing this book? And what was the big epiphany for you? So I opened my hospital in 1989. I know some of the people listening to this weren't even born then, (laughs) probably most of them. And like most veterinarians who open a veterinary hospital, I had no clue what I was doing. So I started to attend local and regional continuing education meetings. And somebody at one of the meetings suggested to read the E-Myth or the E-Myth Revisited, I'm not sure which one. They both came out in the mid to late 80s. So I read both of them, and I reread them, and I highlighted them, and I dog-eared them. And then I started to look for opportunities when Michael was speaking in the Southern California area. I talked to some of his coaches and consultants on the phone, and I became a Michael... Gerber stalker. What can I ask? Had you ever done that with another guru or professional influence before? Or was there something special about this book at that time? The only other person that I've stalked is Bruce Springsteen, but you know, you can't get too close to him. So, <laughs> right, that's true. No, there was really nobody else who I had done that to. I think it's because I could relate so readily to the content in the book and how it resonated with me and in the practice and in the challenges, whether it's me and a veterinary hospital or somebody in a pie shop, the issues are the same. And so I try to integrate the concepts, ideas that were in the E-Myth into my practice in terms of organization and systems. And through the, uh, the ideas and the learnings, I was able to improve my practice and create greater stability, uh, greater systems, and a more predictable way of doing things. And then I eventually sold it to a corporate consolidator. But what I did is take the opportunity to speak locally, nationally, regionally, whatever, about the learnings from the E-Myth. And uh, I've done that probably for 20 years now. So that's the foundation. Then about six years ago, I don't know, maybe in February, it'll be seven years ago. And I was up in Seattle. I was actually at the um, Pacific Pac-12 Swimming Championships. 
Okay. My daughter was a swimmer at USC. And I received a phone call that said, this is somebody from Michael Gerber's company. Michael would like to talk with you. And it's like, yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> this isn't the locker room after the Super Bowl and the president's calling. This is somebody calling, leaving me a voicemail. Call me back. So I called back and I, I said, okay, I'm not buying what you're selling. You need to get me on a call with Michael or else this is just not going anywhere. And so I got on a call with Michael. The long and the short of it is I spoke at WVC earlier in the month of February, and I mentioned that a required reading was the E-Myth Revisited, and that everybody who runs, manages, owns a small business should read it. And the book was not as readily available for some of the attendees, and they called the company to find out how they could get it. And one thing led to another because apparently Michael was looking for people to write books in different verticals that demonstrated the utilization of the concepts of the E-Myth. And so shortly after February and a couple of more phone calls and discussions and meetings, we started to put the book together. And, and there's a template that is used for the book because there's other verticals that are out there, chiropractor, optometrist, et cetera, where Michael writes a chapter and then the author writes a chapter. So it um, became a weekend where I would try to write a chapter per weekend. Okay. And so it took me three, four, five months to fulfill my obligation and then uh, put it all together. And there it is. It just was right place, right time, being skeptical on the phone, maybe, and just being a little minion for somebody that I felt had a, an appropriate message for the veterinary profession. So I'm curious, at the very beginning, when you talked about the e-myth and said, you know, a, a pie shop, a this, a that, there is a perception that the business of a veterinary practice, you know, a one to two doctor practice, is a little like some other businesses. Like there's always the big comparison to dentists because dentists can come straight out of school, hang their own shingle and do their own thing. They don't generally have to join large medical groups. They go off and start their own business, small, either in a strip mall or in a freestanding building. And so there seem to be comparisons there. But I think veterinarians generally, when they look for business advice, they think their business is not like other businesses. So maybe could you either make the pitch how they are the same or different or how that's that is that itself is a myth. Yes, very easily. <laughs> okay. The concepts behind a small business are consistent no matter what the small business is. And I actually use a metaphor now when I teach the e-myth that everything that we do is essentially a recipe. And there's a step-by-step -step way of doing things. Now, being a healthcare provider and a diagnostician and a doctor, that's a little bit harder to systematize. However, if you think about it, or I think about it, a spay surgery, an ovarial hysterectomy, is done with a step-by-step -step mindset that you start to ingrain in your head from veterinary school and perfect with repetition. Well, shouldn't we have that same mindset when answering the phone, cleaning a cage, 
walking a dog, putting a lab workout, balancing out at the end of the day, doing payroll, so that we start to get mental muscle memory. So we do things consistently, predictably, repetitively, not robotically, each time, every time, all the time, without fail. And the problem with most small businesses without systems is they're frequently saying, I'm sorry, because somebody forgot to do something. And the goal behind systems, in my opinion, is to not to have to say, I'm sorry, but to say, this is how we do it here until we find a better way to do it. So as much as veterinarians think that they're unique, they may be unique from a clinical standpoint, but they really should be consistent in all of the other surrounding components of the facility so that we don't make mistakes and we don't have to say, I'm sorry. And we create the systems, the processes, the steps to do that from step to step to step so that no matter who is answering the phone, they do it in a consistent fashion. Do people ever push back or do people struggle where they get in, they hear you speak about the e-myth or they read the e-myth veterinarian, and then they go think about their systems and they are not that jazzed about setting up systems. It feels like the kind of thing you would do in a factory, or it feels like cookie cutter. We're saying this is the process we use every time. And some people by their personality, maybe you're not that big on doing something the same every time, even though it yields wonderful results. Have you ever seen that or does everybody buy it? I think the pushback I get is more, it's too much work. I don't want to do it. Okay. <laughs> Since most veterinarians have some level of OCD and want things done the same way all the time, because that's how we are taught to do things from a medical standpoint. We have algorithms yeah. that we use when we're making a diagnosis. Conceptually, the business should run in the same way. Now, I want to reiterate something I said earlier. Sure. I'm not suggesting we create robots within our practice. What I am suggesting is we give guidelines to get to an optimal outcome so that anybody can do it with some training. Because right now, one of the biggest issues in the veterinary field has to do with how poorly we do from a training standpoint. And so if you have your systems in place, then you have an easy way to train new hires because you train them to the system. Instead of saying, well, go watch Susie up front, she'll show you how to do it which is not exactly how Susie learned three years ago from Kathy and not exactly how Kathy learned from Crystal and not exactly how Crystal learned from me. So training is a game of telephone. Yeah, that's exactly correct. It's a metaphor I use all the time. Today's show is brought to you by Vetex International. Now, are people the major pain point in your practice? If so, you're not alone. Over 90% of managers report staff problems to be their number one issue. At the root of this problem are usually three dysfunctions. A poorly articulated vision, toxic culture, or some form of leadership breakdown. If this sounds familiar, then do not despair. Help is at hand. I encourage you to check out Leaders, a veterinary-specific leadership training program 
where you will learn how to create and execute on a shared vision, how to hire well, and build a powerful, high-performance practice culture without all the drama. The class is accredited, delivered online, and open for applications now. To learn more, listen to a free training webinar, or apply, visit vetxinternational.com forward slash leaders. Okay, welcome back to the show. I hope you enjoyed part one. Let's get into some more meaty content to help you grow your practice in part two. In your practice where you felt like, hey, the medicine's coming along okay, but this owning a small business thing is not going the way I want it. So you went out and looked for information. What exactly in the e-myth at that time years ago, what were the problems you were having that it helped you address? And maybe you could give a flavor for what are some of the systems that yielded fruit quickly? When you read this book, you dog-eared it, you paid attention to it, and you went to try to put it into practice. <laughs> Where do I start? I figure when you're talking about systems, I'm thinking, oh my, this is overwhelming because if you, systems for everything, they're awesome. But as you said, it takes so much time to develop and put those systems in place. So what were the things early on, if you got excited about that book and brought it to that practice that you owned, what were the things that really like shined it out to you? So I think what I wanted was a consistent client experience. So I think we worked on the greetings, how the telephone should be answered. I mean, on average, 20% of what you do on a daily basis in the practice occupies 80% of the day, answering the phone, invoicing clients. And those are the areas that you do most often and the areas that you most likely will make mistakes. So how do you avoid forgetting to do this, that, or the other thing? So for example, yeah, putting the hospital cat in its cage at night so it doesn't set off the motion detector alarms in the hospital. All right, there needs to be a system for that and a checklist to make sure it gets done. Doctors hate seeing a surgical pack, opening a surgical pack and finding out that it's in a different organization or order than what they're used to. Why don't we make sure that we get that done correctly? What are the steps that you should have when greeting a client and bringing them into the exam room? So we looked at the things that we did most often and set up the systems, running the lab equipment, taking a radiographs. And so how do we make sure that we do a dentistry in the right order from start to finish and don't forget anything. It was so obvious what needed to be done, but it does take time. And in the 20 some odd years or 30 years, maybe going back this that far, since we started to integrate these things in the practice, there are so many new ways to capture the systems that we can make it much easier in the practice. But the bottom line is I identified what we needed to do, which was to focus on what we did most often perfect those, take care of the horses first, then look at the unicorns. This may be too far back, but maybe in all the time you talk to people, again, is you address people's devil's advocate questions or they're like their next hurdle. Like I tried this, but then I hit this hurdle. Is the problem typically management not developing the systems or people not enacting, putting the systems in place or people not using the systems long enough? Before I start asking, what are these systems exactly? Where have you seen or heard that the breakdown is when people go and try to do this? I think the breakdown comes from top-down management. I think this works when you bring the team together and ask them where their pain points are. 
And when they say, we can't get this done and we can't get that done, or nobody's doing things the same way. And then you say, well, let's talk about how we can get there. What do you suggest? How do we solve this problem? And you make this a team effort to solve the problem instead of a top-down mandate that says, this is how we're going to do this. Because anything done from a top-down standpoint is less likely to be successful than when you engage the entire team and say, how do we make sure that we're getting all the information from a client when they call? What is the information you try to gather? And, and then you have a conversation and you realize that no two people are asking the same questions. And you say, well, how do we, how do we make sure that we all ask the same questions? And then they start to build a system to ask the same questions. You know, how do you greet a client when they come through the door? Head down, eyes up, which is it going to be? So this is a team based solution that ultimately gets team buy-in because you also give the team the opportunity to improve on the steps if they can find a better way to do it. Have you heard in, so I want to ask two things. The first one I'll ask is with bosses is that thing you just said about finding better ways to do things. Are there places where this becomes, there's a risk that this becomes overly granular, overly determined so that there's one way we do things here and everybody kind of rankles under it. And because no one wants the system, the huge system gets sets in place, nobody wants to change it. Or is there something at heart in the e-myth ethos or in the way the systems work that you would always kind of be open to reflection, reviewing and rejiggering things? Well, Part of the e-myth concept, in my opinion, is that the systems and processes are living, breathing organisms. And so I metaphorically use the human body as the systems that help drive the body. And if we need to take a medication to make our heart work better, that will help the cardiovascular system, which means we always have to constantly be evaluating the cardiovascular system to make sure it's working. Well, we also have to always reevaluate the client service system to make sure that it's working. So I, I would suggest that systems are a living, breathing organism from that standpoint, and that you actually have to have, get this now, Mr. Brendan, you have to have a system to consistently evaluate your systems. Okay. Let me answer the second part about granularity. Yes. All right. From a service standpoint, the outcome can be clearly defined. From how do we get there standpoint, you have to practice running sprints before you can run a marathon. And so you work on the granular part so that you practice, practice, practice until you don't need to be thinking about it. And then you can make mild modifications as long as you get to the same outcome in a more effective or efficient fashion. That's one type of assessment of granularity. The other one is there's only one way to do it. There's only one way this is going to work. And this is how everybody has to do it. And that might come from how to run a CBC on a lab equipment, how to take a thoracic x-ray on a conscious dog that's cooperating, how to take a thoracic x-ray on an unconscious dog that's been sedated. So there are certain processes or steps that you cannot deviate from or the outcome will not work. 
And then there are other situations that say, you know what, we know what the outcome is. If you want to steer away from it just a bit, as long as you get to the same outcome and hit all the, uh, the benchmarks along the way, that's fine as well. Do people in your metaphor about the body, so I was thinking about that, there's one possibility. Sometimes the medicine that gets taken is in one system. So maybe the di- what I hate to carry it too much. Reception is the digestive system. They're taking in everything initially and they have to process it and send it out to the rest of the body. We have to fix something there that makes things harder on reception. And the people who are the client service representatives, it helps that they have a holistic view that this initial difficulty here at the front desk and on the phone and on the computer and on our smartphones for us in our customer service will make things better for the entire unit over time. Is there a time where if these systems are very careful everywhere that people become sort of siloed into and they can really feel when someone has added something to their part of the workflow and it becomes painful and then the problem is they don't understand how this slightly painful change here is really helping the entire organism. So let's use the human metaphor, the animal metaphor first, and then extrapolate back into the practice. Sure. If your heart's not working, it impacts your respiratory system. It impacts your musculoskeletal system. It could impact your GI system. So by helping one system frequently, you help other systems get better as well. Okay? Yes. If there is a problem in the kennels, for example, where it's taking longer to get cages cleaned, baths completed, etc., that has an ultimate impact on the client service team because when a client comes to pick up the pet, they don't have a pet that's ready to go home. So if you look at the veterinary hospital as a body, Every system impacts every other system. And so you now have to figure out how the client service system and the animal caretaker system can better communicate, can better share. Because if the, if the team in the back doesn't let the team in the front know that they're running behind, somebody's going to take the bullet and it's not the kid in the back who's walking the dogs. Right. Let me flip that. What if the client service team books too many baths or borders. Now, all of a sudden, the team in the back has to work harder because they weren't taken into consideration by the scheduling of the client service team. And I can go on with a gajillion other metaphors, (laughs) but you can see how a well-managed, well-led, team-based healthcare delivery model Everybody takes care of everybody else, and you look for common solutions by the group and not any one individual. I mean, obviously, people build up temporary resentments, and I can see how if there were issues between there where literally the people at the front desk, they act as if they do not care what happens to the folks who are trying to do those baths and cleaning out those cages, and vice versa. The people in the back don't care about the people in front. You have a much larger problem than just the system. So. Tell me what is the secret sauce? Because what you said is, hey, you need to have systems for everything. Now, that's easy to say. I could write it in a sentence. I could put it up on a a mantra up on my bulletin board. I need systems for everything. What is a little bit of the secret sauce that works in the e-myth thinking that it was so compelling for you? Because again, way back when, maybe it was a complete revelation that, oh my goodness, I need to have a system for this stuff. And that is a revelation. Once you've had that revelation, 
Like then you go off and just make systems. What does e-myth do? What are ways it makes you think about the systems that's helpful? Well, the term e-myth stands for entrepreneurial myth. Okay. So the E stands for entrepreneur. Yeah. And conceptually, what is talked about in the e-myth by Michael is the fact that most small businesses fail because most small business owners are not entrepreneurs, but technicians who had an entrepreneurial seizure. <laughs> I mean, really, veterinarians coming out, highly technically skilled. Absolutely. And, yeah. Absolutely. But they've never run a team. They've never worked with other people except as, a, as somebody working for somebody else. And so when you own your own business. But to get to the point of even doing systems or creating yeah. systems takes leadership at the foundation. And that leadership has to have a vision of how they want the practice to operate. And by the way, and I'm sure you know this, really the genesis of systems was McDonald's and their ability to pump out hamburgers, french fries, and milkshakes at their small place in San Bernardino, California, that eventually Ray Kroc took and created this whole franchise model, etc. So, and again, I'm not suggesting we're going to make franchises. I am suggesting that we can learn to make sure that the French fries taste the same all the time, no matter where in the 14, 15, 20,000 McDonald's they are in the world, that you can get consistent French fries because your clients want consistent French fries. So let me back, go back to my focus. Yeah. If the leadership doesn't have a vision, doesn't have a direction, doesn't have a point to which they're going, systems won't work. Systems then become a crutch. But ultimately, between the vision that talks about how the business is going to operate and the mission, which is the passion and the purpose under which the business operates, everything you do from a systems standpoint needs to support the big long-term vision of the practice leadership. It all starts with leadership and a big vision that you're trying to accomplish. So I completely agree with you. But I know even on the individual level, because oftentimes as people sort of, we were talking beforehand right now about, you know, during this pandemic is a time where people are sort of revisiting their own mission, revisiting what their own passions are, how work is going to interact with their outside life and vice versa. So they're rethinking it is very hard to take that big mission and run it all the way downstream to the things you do every day. So I, I know how difficult that can be and how many breakdowns you can have. You drift from the mission or the mission changes, but the tasks being done don't or vice versa. So if that's a problem, they come up with a mission. They sit around and they figure out what their mission is. And then they set up some stuff down the line to do it. It just seems it's hard to keep that going. It's hard to keep it going if you don't have great leadership. I, you know, and, okay. and <laughs> somebody asked me at a meeting, what do I think is the greatest weakness of the veterinary profession? Yeah. And, you know, I could have said, well, too much compassion or, sure. you know, we don't make enough money. But honestly, in my opinion, me speaking only. So for those of you who want to lambast me on 
every social media outlet that you're out there. I'm Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera. I believe, and I, I think I told Dave this on a podcast that we did, I believe that the greatest weakness of the veterinary profession is a lack of strong, vibrant, future-looking leadership. And that's at the practice level, the university level, the organized veterinary medicine level. I think we have been very good as technicians doing work to get things done, but I don't see a lot of people looking off into the, the distance to see what direction we need to take our practices, our veterinary curricula, and our associations. So bottom line is none of this works without a person and their team having a common <laughs> yeah. goal to solve the problems that are driving them crazy and making their practice chaotic. Leadership is what is necessary to make this happen. If you try to do this and you are not a leader, all you will become is a taskmaster. You really need to have motivated your staff. You need to have them on board. You need to let them take the reins and drive to help you get to the outcome. Give them the outcome you want and let them help you build the road to get there. The short and powerful read, The E-Myth Veterinarian, is available wherever fine books are sold. And you can find Weinstein at simplesolutionsforvets.com. That wraps up today's episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show. It was an honor to share it with you. If you enjoyed it, we would love it if you leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends in veterinary medicine about us. Want a little more? You are in luck. An extended version of this podcast is available exclusively to our leaders community. You can learn more at vetxinternational.com. And until next time, I just want you to know I appreciate you.